All right. Well, back by popular demand is uh, exhausted and unhinged Casey. Welcome to the show. <laughs> uh, man, I so you have cats. You know the I life. Do. Yeah, Mothra has decided that she has a new mortal enemy. Yeah. Um the the original mortal enemy is specifically the broom. Not the not the vacuum. So not any we, other brush. Just the just, broom. just the broom. She hates it. And it she and attacks replaced, it. Replace it's the not, former. It's not been enemy? replaced yet. No. But she has mm. an, an additional mm. mortal enemy gotcha. which is uh unpeeled oranges that have been sat down next to her. Oh, I hate that. She when, uh, when people put the cucumbers down and it upsets the cat. I hate no, that so much. No, <laughs> she did not. She was playing with it. She was attacking oh, it I and see. like kept knocking it around. And she bit it. And then she like made a grossed out face because you know she's, if you ever like I made a mistake. Yeah, if you ever like put your mouth on an orange rind, it's not good. And <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, she well, attacked it every every time. I like I would move it, and she would stop, and then I would just set it down beside her again, and she would attack it again. <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> you can't be trusted with oranges, I guess. Uh, my my story is less funny now in comparison, so thank you for that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, Jackson has one front arm. Yes, and he likes to scratch things. But when he does, he kind of has to do a little bounce up to get yeah the next the next scratch. Uh, and he ruined uh, our fitted sheet on the bed. Oh no! So I had to buy a new fitted sheet. And would you like to know the brand name of the fitted sheet that I purchased? Hashtag not sponsored. Yes. Gorilla Grip. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. Did that's you buy my story. it for the name? <laughs> A little bit, yes. I okay. I bought it for two reasons. One, because it Respect. had, quote, extra deep pockets. And I'm so tired of my sheets not fitting around the girth of my <laughs> mattress. Yeah. But uh, the fact that it was called Gorilla Grip really sold me. You should yeah, sponsor to... us, Gorilla Grip. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to let me know how you like it. It's pretty soft. Um, it's not like, you know, super high quality, but it's it's doing the job. I only slept on it once, and today was not a great... Uh, Sleep determination pan. of how well i slept um yeah because we have the little fitted sheet suspenders on uh, ours and they still barely keep it on yeah no i i now specifically go out of my way for the deepest pockets i didn't even know that that was an option so we're gonna have to start looking for that too yeah because i hate uh, elise so elise has the texture stuff uh-huh and so she sleeps on uh like an afghan like an acrylic like my grandma made me afghan oh yeah and so she doesn't care about the fitted sheet so the fitted sheet can like bunch up under it or whatever the the afghan's thick enough that it doesn't bother her but it bothers me because i sleep on the sheet yeah like a and i hate it <laughs> like when that when it comes up and it like you're half on a mattress when you wake up because the yes. sheet came up yeah but we have um we have like a mattress cover so we're not just like on the bare mattress yeah. but but yeah it's still it's not as it's it's like a terry cloth sort of feel on top so it's mm-hmm. not exactly the most comfortable you know mattress uh mattress cover to be asleep on ours is a but. microfiber situation mm. it's uh antimicrobial Ooh. yeah i was like good <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was really happy that we had it uh, when Ja was so sick because there oh, were a couple yeah. of times that having like that extra layer 
of between the mattress and like she wasn't like on the the bed she was like on a blanket on a blanket on on the the bed you know yeah and so but it's still like soaked through all the way to the mattress cover but the mattress cover absorbed it and i was like yes (laughs) thank you upselling salesman when we bought this mattress same (laughs) (sighs) oh all right well what an interesting intro I'm sure you're all fascinated and ready to hear what we have to talk about. <laughs> Gorilla grip sheet. and cat puke. Let's go. But anyway, hey, welcome to The Strange and Unusual, <laughs> where we discuss The Strange and Unusual. This is episode 148 of our series, seeking out the weird, the unexplained, and the devious from around the world. I'm Casey. And I'm Roya. So the theme for the next couple of episodes is food crimes, since we are, in fact, a food and movie podcast now. Um <laughs> And I'll be telling you a story that is probably uninteresting to anyone but me, uh, but it's about a commercial fishing scandal. So uh, remember, you can follow us on social media. We are still amazingly on Twitter. We are on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for The Strange Unusual Podcast. Whoa. Whoa. Let me try that again. <laughs> search for The, the strange, strange Unusual, unusual podcast. podcast. The Strange Usual. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it will be spelled correctly in the show notes, at least. Uh, so you can find all that information uh, at the end of the episode and in our show notes. Also, you can find us on patreon.com slash strange unusual if you are interested in supporting us thusly. Uh, but again, that will be all later or in the notes. So, as I said, fishing scandal. It sounds very exciting, does it not? Sure. Wee woos. The IRS. Oh, no. Poverty. Very, very brief mentions of slavery, but I feel like I should say it just in case. Um, excessive use of the word fuck <laughs> and fish puns. Oh, boy. What's your favorite uh, fish pun? <sighs> I don't know that I have one. All right. Well, I'll let you off the hook. Go to hell. Uh, I was thinking about Animal Crossing and the fish puns. Oh, yeah. And there was one from New Leaf that I loved. It was, I caught a carp. I really seized the diem. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) this person is so stupid. (laughs) There are some bad ones in Animal Crossing. Yeah. Like, I caught a dace. Hope I have some space or something like that. Oh. Anyway, let's dive in, What's shall the we? Fucking black bass one from it's got a lot of class or something. Yeah, and then there's sea bass. I think it's more like a C minus. Pl- yeah, or C plus or something yeah, like that. I yeah. Remember. There's some dumb ones, but still. Anyway. Oh, I caught a black bass, the most metal of all fish. <laughs> that one's from New Horizons, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna be talking about the commercial fishing entrepreneur. Carlos Rafael. He was born in 1952 on the Azores Islands off the coast of Portugal. Um, When he was just 12 years old, his family sent him to a monastery. Uh, They were worried about him getting recruited for a war. And so they were like, send him away. And then he got kicked out of the monastery. And so he came back home. (laughs) He's 15 years old and he convinces his parents we should move to the U.S., And they're like, cool, let's do it. I wish I had had the sway over my parents like that at 15 years old. (laughs) I would have had ice cream every day. (laughs) The important things, you know? Oh, Um, yeah. Only the most important things. So, um, right. Uh, So they end up in New Bedford, Massachusetts, which is America's number one fishing port. 
the most valuable fishing port that we have um and annually brings in like a billion dollars like it's it's a big deal just Um, only that's insignificant we are actually i found out that the u.s is the second largest uh consumer of fish in the world second to china that makes sense so um, just size wise because i was like i want to say japan but japan doesn't have like the land mass to no the population's not as dense i think i think it was something like five billion pounds or something like that a year but i that could be wrong i could be thinking five million pounds i don't know there was a five that's not what this this podcast is about look it up uh so (laughs) like i said it's free (laughs) that's the second episode i've said that (laughs) do it yourself okay uh so (laughs) what do you think i'm here to do give you information (laughs) Raphael, like i said was from the azores islands um they moved to the states in 1968 and not he didn't have they didn't have a lot of money he didn't have a lot in the way of formal education he didn't know much english so he basically gets to massachusetts and drops out of high school because he said that the uh the lessons were too basic uh, and at 15 he starts working on the docks um at a seafood processing operation um and what i found out was gener- there's like Remember how Nantucket was the whaling community in Massachusetts for a bunch of years? Yeah. When things started to not be so cool in Nantucket, those people basically moved to New Bedford is what I've gathered. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, there's a lot of uh, Portuguese ancestry in uh, New Bedford because of whaling um, historically, because these um, whalers would go... Uh, like out to sea and they would pick up crew members in the Azores. So there's generations of Portuguese fishermen. Um, Yeah. And after whaling, uh, the primary catch was ground fish, which are like bottom feeders. You got haddock, flounder, cod, that sort of thing. And one article from Mother Jones claimed that more than one third of New Bedford's residents have that Portuguese ancestry. So uh, cod fishing was, according to the Massachusetts website, the official website, you might say, oh uh, was North America's first industry. You're going to have uh, to do this episode on your own. Okay, great. Um, it'll go so much <laughs> faster, though. Oh, damn. <laughs> uh, evidently, there is a, a wooden, quote, sacred codfish that hangs over the uh, Massachusetts House of Representatives. That's that's, fun. that's Christian. Yeah. That's a that's a false idol. Yeah, how very pagan of them. Uh, and per the New England Historical Society, at least uh, cod fishing is at least partly responsible for the American Revolution because it was a a huge industry, and you know, those Brits. <laughs> anyway, so in the 1970s, there were what some described as like whole ass cities of foreign fishing boats um, in the international waters off the coast, like 60, 70 miles offshore, um, huge fishing operations uh, because this area is so richly populated with fish or, or was, I should say. (laughs) Um, But the U S wasn't crazy about like Soviets just chilling off the coast. So in 1976, they passed something called the Mangison act Uh, which set measures to secure the closest 200 miles of ocean for U.S. fishing. And then they offered these like really cheap subsidized loans as incentives for 
U.S. citizens to create or invest into existing U.S. fisheries. That's how Carlos, who was then working as a fish cutter, got his start. He got a loan. He opened Carlos Seafood, a fish processing plant. And after he uh, he ends up buying his first boat in like 1981, and then he keeps buying more and he's hiring his own captains. And then he buys the fish from those captains for his own business. Um, That Mother Jones article claimed that he had like a bunch of ships named after like the Greek pantheon. So he had like the Athena, the Poseidon, the Hera, like there was another one. It was like, I know this is not what it was, but this is what popped in my head. It was like the Sasha Gray. <laughs> it was like some random ass name. I don't know. It might have been his daughter's name, but he ended up having like 30, 40 boats after all said and done here. But at no point was he actually hauling in fish himself, just for the record. He was not a fisherman proper. He owned and operated the fishing business, but he himself was not a fisherman and I have seen him called an armchair fisherman because he like sent people out to do the work for him. <laughs> According to CNBC, this is an important distinction because it indicates that he was never willing to put himself at risk. Uh, commercial fishing is one of the most dangerous occupations in the United States, known for its hazardous working conditions, strenuous labor, long hours and harsh weather conditions. I'm sure that's around the world, but these statistics were about the United States. So... Um, they gave a statistic like commercial fishermen are 29 times more likely to die on the job than other workers. That's a, that's a big jump. Yeah. Uh, the CDC actually claimed in 2019 that, and I don't know if this is worldwide or U.S. because it didn't specify. It just said that it's actually more like 40 times more likely than the average worker. Another podcast I listened to called Unsavory, they actually did an episode on this case and they referenced a New York Times expose on sea slavery like especially in Thailand. Um, So keep in mind that that number, if it is worldwide, is probably wildly inaccurate because those deaths of, you know, slaves on commercial fishing vessels are probably far higher and uh, unreported. Yeah. Uh, According to the Commercial Fishing Incident Database, or CFID, (laughs) between 2000 and 2019, 878 commercial fishermen died from a traumatic injury while fishing in the U.S., averaging over 43 deaths per year. 47% of those fatalities occurred after a vessel disaster. 30 were due to falls overboard. 14 resulted from injuries sustained on board. And the remaining 9% occurred while driving or uh, from onshore injuries. John Bullard, uh, a former administrator with uh, the Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, um, He mentioned that the sea teaches people humility, a trait which, according to him, our subject, Carlos Raphael, sorely lacked. So uh, he is convinced, Raphael is convinced, uh, that he is one of the smartest guys on the docks and seemingly uh, is like the quintessential story of the immigrant achieving the American dream, right? Uh, The Washington Post had this to say about Carlos, quote, Though he estimated his net worth at somewhere between 10 million and 25 million, he still walked the creaky bait scented wharfs in flannel shirts and worn jeans every day, barking out commands and alternating between foul mouthed English and rapid fire Portuguese as he chain smoked Winston cigarettes and monitored the day's catch. <laughs> Sounds like a real peach. Yeah. And so, yeah, 
He lived in a nice but modest house in Dartmouth. Uh, He drove this old pickup truck and didn't dress like he was some wealthy man. Uh, You might say that despite his wealth, he wasn't very sophisticated. Uh, Absolutely not. Goodbye. I'm quitting. (laughs) So, uh, So, yeah, he's known as this character described as loud, funny, profane, and certainly memorable. Um, and he said shit like, quote, the only way I could build this was working seven days a week, 12 hours a day. This shit didn't come from heaven. Which like, I I was like, thank you, sir, for acknowledging that. Because I hate when people like get their gold medal and they're like, thank God. I'm like, God doesn't give a shit about your gold medal, bitch. You yeah. did that. You did that. I remember that was... Uh... That drove a really big, like, wedge between my brother and one of my mom's friends. Oh. Um, it was uh, after after my dad had his... Because dad had a quad bypass or a triple bypass um, when I was still in high school. And uh, we were just updating, you know, keeping keeping all the friends and family and stuff in the loop about the surgery. And one of my mom's friends commented, like, oh, thank God for thank those God. doctors, blah, blah, blah. Or, or, you know, thank God. Thank, thank God he survived. Right. And my brother was just like, no, thank the doctors. Thank They're the, the doctors. ones who saved his life. Mm-hmm. Like, and then that was just World War Three between the two of them, evidently. Love that. Fuck that bitch. <laughs> I seriously, like, every time somebody thanks God for their fucking Oscar, I'm like, God does not give a fuck. Well, first of all, God is not real. <laughs> But if he was, I would seriously, ugh, I would seriously hope that he's not like, mm, I'm so glad that Jamie Lee Curtis won. Like, <laughs> he's not like chilling up there watching the fucking Academy Awards, right? Well, because if you believe in that shit, then like he did it. So like, why is he going to watch the the right. outcome of the show he already knows? <laughs> Are we God's comfort show? That's right. Like, he's like, I know it's going to happen so I can watch this without yeah, having are anxiety. We, are we... Are we God's Parks and Rec? Is that yours? We- <laughs> it's one of them. I like uh, I like Arrested Development and Thirty Rock a lot. My comfort show and Buffy is Forensic Files. Yeah, because I know every episode at this point. <laughs> um, I'm more of a comfort movie bitch. I am too. So like Sleepless in Seattle, uh, The Princess Bride, Willow. Those are like my top three go to. I need comfort. I need to just sit in my bed. And yeah. not think about what's happening on the screen. Yeah. I think mine would probably be the Birdcage. Oh, that Birdcage is up there, yeah. Both Adam's Family movies. Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters is a good one. Ferris Bueller's on mine, too. We're trying to think if there are any other ones. That st- oh, uh, Crazy Stupid Love. That's, that's probably like one. my romance one. Mm-hmm. That's like my go-to. I cannot explain to you why I love sleepless in seattle so much other than like because if i do i'm gonna end up sounding like Alyssa edwards talking about tom hanks (laughs) (laughs) i think i I think my favorite like if we're going tom hanks romance i think my favorite is probably you've got mail you've got mail is also excellent i think i just really like the pairing of meg ryan and tom hanks i think they have good chemistry they make me feel comfortable Yeah. They also both, like, they're both really, like, Tom Hanks is really handsome. Meg Ryan's really pretty. But they both feel, like, attainably attainable. attractive. <laughs> like, they don't, yeah. they, they're not, like, Chris I Hemsworth. I could be a self-insert in-, in this movie. <laughs> you know, but they're not, they're not Chris Hemsworth. They're not uh, yes. Megan Fox. They're not. 
you know, like Scarlett Johansson. They're not these like drop dead bombshell yeah. actors and actresses. And I think that that's part of what has endeared so many people to Tom Hanks as an example. Yeah. Also, it's crazy how easy he can just slip into the Forrest Gump voice. Yes. Did you have you seen him on Graham Norton, uh, Graham Norton talking about yeah. the kid? <laughs> yeah. My daddy makes grease. <laughs> grease is in lipstick. All sorts of products. <laughs> but yeah, just like how easily it was like like putting on a like a familiar pair of shoes for him. Like yep. it was crazy. I don't remember what we were talking about where I am in my notes. I didn't know Forrest Gump was based on a book. What? And evidently the book is like way bananas. Different. Yeah. yeah. He like goes to space. He goes to point. space. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what I was saying was God doesn't give a fuck about your Oscar, whether you're Jamie Lee Curtis or Tom Hanks. Sorry to say. You're right. You're right. This episode <laughs> would go a lot faster uh, if I wasn't here. <laughs> I'll see myself out. Anyway, so early on in his career, uh, people learned to be careful when working with Carlos Raphael. One guy was in the uh, CNBC clip. I think his name was Jim Kendall. uh, And he was saying (laughs) that... What? I've just been listening to too much Trixie and Katya. (laughs) What what do you have to say? It's just any time one of them stumbles over someone's name, it's just like, do you know a Jim Gum or a James Gum? (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) And then it just goes into the, the... Would you, you fuck great, me? <laughs> was she a great big fellow? <laughs> I now I gotta watch that. That's a comfort movie. Didn't think yeah. about that one. That one is yeah. my, that is probably my like spooky comfort movie. Yeah, same. Okay. Uh, the shi- the Shining too. The Stanley Kubrick Shining for me. Oh okay, yeah. I Shelley Duvall. I feel so bad she's for her in that so movie. Good but in that film. She's though. so incredible in it. Like she sells that to me. Like I'm. Well, I'm genuinely yeah, she scared was like her. actually traumatized by filming that movie. <laughs> so, well, any movie with Jack Nicholson would traumatize me as well. I all I can think of now is that moment from the Oscars where Jennifer Lawrence is sitting there having the conversation with like George Stephanopoulos or something, and um, Jack Nicholson comes over and says, "You remind me of an old girlfriend." <laughs> General Lawrence is like, do I remind you of a new girlfriend? And he was like, thought about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, sorry. So what was I saying? Jim Kendall. Yeah. (laughs) God doesn't care if you win an Oscar. Get out of here. Uh, He was known, uh, Raphael was known uh, to do do shitty things. Like um, he would agree to one price, but then try to pay less. On the price he agreed on. Um, God, sounds like my dad. <laughs> it's the immigrant story. <laughs> yeah, it really, it do be like that. It do be like that. Um, he was actually recorded talking about himself saying, they're going to say he's a rough motherfucker to do business with. Did he ever fuck anybody over? He never fucked anybody who didn't deserve to be fucked. Damn. Get it. Uh, and so Jim Kendall had said, this is what I meant to say, but I, I, I missed it um he once shook Raphael's hand and felt like he needed to count his fingers afterwards uh but fucking guys over on the docks is a lot different than fucking uncle sam or fucking over uncle sam rather (laughs) he ended up owing the government like seventy five 
thousand dollars in delinquent taxes and ended up being prosecuted for tax evasion in 1986. He was convicted and served four months in prison. But that didn't stop Carlos. Uh, he kept on keeping on. Uh, he was later charged with price fixing. Uh, he was essentially working with other New Bedford fishermen to uh, force inflate the price of flounder. Quote, because I control the fucking flounder in New Bedford. <laughs> they do what I tell them to do. Uh, but he, in his own words, got the jury to sympathize with him in that case. And he ended up being acquitted. The American Greed episode on this case uh played a clip where he claimed that as he was walking out of the courtroom he turned to the prosecutors and said assholes look at me i said fuck all of you motherfuckers you know good miserable motherfuckers every single one of you pricks damn well does this still sound like your dad no okay if we were ever concerned about uh an episode that was definitely going to need uh a mature flag on it (laughs) So he clearly respects authority. That's all I'm saying. Uh, In 1994, there was a sharp decline in the local population. Well, you know, the decline had been happening, I should say. It's not like it just magically was a sharp (laughs) decline. But now they, Noah has noticed. Um, So the overfishing leads to the government coming in. Noah comes in and sets regulations so that the species can rebound. Like, there's a yeah. bunch of ground fish that are just being super overfished. It started with all those foreign commercial vessels, and then it just continued with our uh, domestic fishing. So the rules ended up being super complex, uh, demanding that nets needed to have wider holes so that their uh, catches would be smaller. The the fish would be bigger, but the catch would be smaller. Um and limiting the number of days that a boat could be out at sea. Um, and fishing companies worried that they would be put out of business, especially smaller operations that didn't say, didn't, I'm sorry, that didn't have, say, 32 boats. Um, Raphael's response was, the strong will get stronger, the weak will disappear, which is how he wanted it. Damn. Um, he decided to start fishing for scallops as well. Do you say scallop or scallop? Scallop. Okay. I mean, actually, I use a fake pronunciation for them oh but uh, yeah i call them scalopes scalopes okay well he started fishing <laughs> for scalopes there's no e i don't know where you're getting the a yeah the i don't end. know i don't know man scalopes scalops scalops that sounds scalops uh anyway so that helped the 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 scallops helped make up the loss of income uh, but you know for the most part he just ignored the regulations entirely yeah uh, that sounds that he's he's slapped with a number of violations uh which he can afford to pay for he's just like whatever here's 25 grand i don't care uh and then in 1995 and sorry and then in 1999 he's also caught falsifying documentation on a squid fishing permit he's like okay. i've been i've been fishing for squid for years here's all the people that have bought from me and then they check in with those people and they're like i wasn't even when i wasn't even in business when he wrote that we we did this transaction (laughs) like so he pleaded guilty and was only sentenced to six months of house arrest and probation for that and then it was back to work the fines start racking up but again he's claiming to be worth tens of millions of dollars at this point so doesn't seem to bother him he just keeps paying the fines and fucking off because really it's a slap on the wrist for him it's not like these other smaller fishermen couldn't afford that you know um but he's just like, fuck it. If I can bring in more fish than I'm allowed to and all I have to do is pay 25 grand or 70 grand or whatever, fuck it. I'll make that back. 
because I'm doing it illegally. Like, that's it. Um, and it's around this time that Raphael got the name The Codfather. Sources vary on whether or not he was given this name by the media or if he gave this name to himself. I hope the media gave it to him <laughs> where he can still like retain some amount of cool. <laughs> Because then you have to lump him in with BTK, and no one wants to be there. Well, yeah. Well, he's not He's not nearly in that level. No, I just mean of being a loser that gave yourself your own nickname. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, so his competitors were still struggling. Many didn't get through the regulations. They, didn't, um, they weren't able to maintain their business. And the fish population still wasn't rebounding. <clears throat> so Carlos buys up the boats of the um, failed competitors which only furthers his slice of the of the pie, essentially, um, and furthers his business success. According to the American Greed episode, uh, he, he was even credited with keeping the dying industry afloat by some. Like, people were like, well, he's keeping us employed. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, this is not that. a trickle-down economics that we want, people. Yeah. But he wasn't interested in helping other fishermen at all. He was there for himself. Uh, in 2010, new regulations came in. Instead of uh, the number of days at sea that you could go out, it was moved to a um, catch share system. So the biologists came in and determined the total allowable catch of each type of fish. And everybody was allotted a percentage of that total. And so there's an episode on Netflix called... Um, oh, sorry. The show is Rotten. I don't know if you've ever seen that on Netflix, but there's uh-uh. an episode called Cod is Dead, which great pun. <laughs> um, but it describes the situation as sort of pitting the scientists against the fishermen because the scientists are saying, well, there's going to be an ecological like, like collapse. And the fishermen are in the situation of like, I need to pay my bills and feed my family. Mm-hmm. So... You could argue that the fishermen or the fisher fishing people um, seem to be short-sighted here. And I don't think you're wrong if you say that. But it's also super fucked up to have the rug pulled out from under you and your fucking livelihood like that. Yeah. And the Rotten episode goes way more into that. So if you want to see like a bunch of like gnarly looking fishermen complaining about the system, that's that episode's for you. Um, It's really sad. I don't love that system. And I, I'm going to get into the regulation a little bit here. This is the part that I'm convinced that nobody's going to be interested in but me. But I like went down a fucking wormhole with this. <laughs> um, so it did seem unfair to me. I started to look into it. These shares are actually on the the government side of things. They they hired this company to come in and like economists to come in and talk about it and try to figure it out from that standpoint. They consider it to be an incentive uh, for conservation, because the more you conserve, the more of the pie there will be next year, and the size of your slice can continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, it may not always result in a large population like rebound, but the population will be more stable, which will reflect in catch rates. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, that does not help put food on people's table. It is also a lot safer than days at sea regulations because you can take the time to go out when the weather is better rather than trying to get as much done in the few days you have which could be windy or stormy and cause a lot of problems for you and your crew so not great for small-scale fishing operations like how big corporations buy up small family farms 
but it does presumably make a safer work environment for the people on the boats and it's better for the fish populations. Uh, also, there are safeguards that are mentioned in the Mother Jones article that I'm sure no one gives a fuck about those fishing regulations the way I do. Um, but it seems like there were no safeguards for small fishing operations or the community that I could find for New Bedford. That may have changed at this point. It gets real fuzzy at the end because people kind of stopped talking about it. Um, but that allotment that you get on how many fish are caught in the previous years, or, sorry, the allotment is based on how many fish you caught in the previous year. So if you're a big company, you're going to get a bigger slice of the proverbial fish pie. Uh, I think I read that uh, Carlos started with like 9% of all of New England and then uh, because these these catch shares become let's say you and you and I are fishermen <laughs> we each get our own catch share allotment uh but you are like it's not worth me going out there I'm not gonna make the money I need to support my company you can then lease or or sell to me your share your catch share so that I can then get more and I will pay you for your percentage basically hmm so that if I go out to sea and I catch a bunch of things that I go over my allotment, I'm not then in trouble legally. So it privatizes fish in a way that is a little gross. Yeah. We don't love that. Because of that system, Carlos ended up with like 25% with all of New England, which is a fuck ton. In theory, a fishing crew could catch their share, sell it, or rent it out, like I said. Um, but some fisheries didn't get enough of a percentage to even stay in business, which means Carlos was then able to buy up even more boats from his smaller competitors, which he allegedly referred to lovingly as mosquitoes on the balls of an elephant. Gross. And, yeah. And just in case I'm not clear on how many people were affected, that Mother Jones article stated that in 1996, about 1,200 boats harvested ground fish from Connecticut to Maine. By 2013, that number dwindled down to 327. Wow. Yeah, that's a huge gap. Yeah. Uh, this seemed unfair to me, like I said, so I, I did my research. It was uh, it was hard. It was hard to, to get through that. I'm like, communism people. <laughs> it, it, the EDF really made it about, like, help the big guy, and I really do not stand. Uh, and, and and so, like I said, there were no so safeguards for those local fishermen, and Carlos was really able to exploit the system. In 2011, the feds confiscated nearly a nearly 900-pound tuna that had been illegally netted on the Apollo, one of his ships. And then in 2013, he was caught reporting that the boat had brought in 1,800 pounds of scallops. He actually had 12,000 pounds of scallops. Uh, he was fined 70 grand, but again, he could afford it. He wrote it off. Uh, people were unable to do anything about it, really. He was untouchable. And that was how Raphael was able to bring in co-conspirators, too, like getting people involved in his crime. Uh, and just when you think he's ready to take over the docks and, like, own everything. Opulence. Um, <laughs> you own <laughs> everything. Everything. There's an article published in uh, the January in January of 2015 uh, says King of New England ground fishing plans to sell his fleet out of New Bedford. He's in his 60s at this point. He's you know ready to retire. He tells the paper, "quote I'm gonna cash in and screw." <laughs> and the IRS 
sees this and they're like, maybe we can do something about this. Like, what's what's happening? Let's let's get in and find out what's going on. Uh, but they didn't get the chance because another party jumps in first. The Russians. The Russians crime syndicate. Uh, that June, two Russian investors, in quotes, uh, show up with a broker looking for a way to hide, I mean, invest $100 million. The Russians meet with Carlos at a warehouse on South Front Street in New Bedford, wanting to buy the business. Uh, but they want to look over the books first, make sure everything is what he's saying and that they're not wasting their time. Carlos jokes, you could be the fucking IRS and this could be a fucking clusterfuck. The Russians laugh. He follows up with something like, no, the only thing is both of you are Russian. I don't think they have two fucking Russians. Thing is, they were the IRS. And this whole this whole conversation is recorded. God. So, <laughs> got you, ha <laughs> ha. One of the undercover agents told CNBC about Carlos, quote, I didn't realize that the F word could be used in so many ways in a sentence, to be frank. (laughs) (laughs) Carlos told these, quote, Russians that he wanted $175 million for the business. And that was more than eight times what he was reporting to the IRS that his company was worth. Wow. Uh, then he shows them the books. They basically say, that asking price is not reflected here. Why are you asking for so much? And he said, well, here's the deal. I'm a fucking criminal. Here's how I operate. Here are oh all my, my methods. Everyone this is how you get caught. away with it. Everyone gets <laughs> caught with a Mr. Big. Everyone. He starts monologuing. <laughs> it's like the oldest trick in the freaking right? government book at this point. So essentially he'd lie to... Like, he'd falsify records. He would say that he caught a number of other fish. So uh, he catches, I'm going to throw out small numbers. He catches 100 pounds of cod, but he doesn't have that allotment. So he says, actually, I caught 100 pounds of haddock. And because uh-huh. um, because haddock had a much larger allotment, um, if he's given an allotment of X, he goes over that. He says it's another kind of fish. So, yeah, he, he just falsifies reports. No big deal. Noah, big deal. <laughs> so the rub is that the fishing boats had to report the species and weight of their catch when they came back to port. And then the seafood dealers had to submit their own reports saying what they purchased from the boats so that they the the records can be cooperated and, and verified to make sure that there is no uh, fraud happening. Except for that, Carlos owned the boats and the supply. So he would just have his captains lie about what they caught and he lied about what he purchased and no fraud gets detected because the numbers match. He tells the Russians, quote, you'll never find a better laundromat than this motherfucker. <laughs> Meanwhile, the other He's small so fishery. He's so confident. He is. He's a cocky bastard. I, I, I kind of respect him, <laughs> but I don't like him. <laughs> yeah, it's a fine line. So, meanwhile, the other small fisheries are, you know, following the regulations and they are forced to purchase these additional quota or are first to forced to stop fishing altogether, which works out even better for Carlos because if they can't afford that quota or stop fishing and they go under, he gets to add more boats and more boats means more quota. And generally, it was pretty obvious why captains would go along with this me like falsifying reports, uh, because they were able to profit as well. And one fisherman, like I said, uh, he it, it was Jim Kendall again. He, he said, when your compatriots are starving to death, going out of business and losing their homes, you start doing what you're told. 
it wasn't that people approved, but they understood what was happening. Like, you got to you gotta keep your kids fed, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So the IRS was looking to get even more information on the scheme. They they get his trip reports, bills of lading, receipts from dealers, and he's and he's trying to evade taxes. So he's telling these undercover agents that he has this written receipt. He shows them this receipt for six hundred thousand dollars. And he tells them that he gets them he gets this money every six months. Like guaranteed in a, a six hundred grand situation every six months from this wholesaler I know in New York named Michael. And so I had to laugh because I'm sitting there thinking about The Godfather, the movie, where Brando's like, where's Michael? We can't take the picture without Michael. (laughs) (laughs) So evidently, the dealer apparently, allegedly, cannot verify, was not aware of the scheme that Carlos was running. I'm I'm hesitant to believe that, but that's what the articles say. Uh, They would literally meet halfway between Boston and New York. And the payment was delivered in duffel bags of cash. According to that Mother Jones article, this man was later identified in the affidavit as Michael Peretti, a Fulton Fish Market dealer who already had been busted for fish crimes back in 1990-1999. Quote, peddling bass illegally taken from polluted waters. <clears throat> I never found whether or not he had actually been charged with anything in, in um, regards to this case. Most of what I read said that he hadn't been charged or had not yet been charged. And I saw no update on that. So I don't know what happened to him after this, but that's that. But anyway, because there was no paper trail, basically, and no like financial trail, this went unreported. And so he just had an extra 600 grand of unreported income hanging around. Uh, and then he they ask what he does with that money. He's, you know, what do you do with it? And he says he deposits it overseas so that it's hidden well how how do you get away with that because you can't take huge amounts of money into the airport well he doesn't fill out any currency reports or anything because he has a friend who takes care of all this for him and that Uh friend is a bristol county sheriff's deputy named antonio freitas who takes the money takes big envelopes of money gets around the gates of the boston logan airport because he has a fucking badge and Carlos doesn't get clocked for the cash. It's actually, those are the words he says. He qu- he says, I give him the envelopes. He puts it in his pockets. He doesn't go through security because he's got one of those fucking badges. He's an agent. It's illegal, but efficient. No. <laughs> no. And of course, <laughs> shortly afterwards, after he's telling the IRS agents this, uh, Freitas gets caught smuggling this cash for Carlos. Uh, he ended up getting indicted for conspiracy and bulk cash smuggling and was sentenced to a year in prison. Carlos goes on to tell the undercover agents that he'd spent hundreds of thousands of U.S. dollars back in Portugal renovating homes for himself and his family and buying a warehouse and a, quote, pleasure boat. Is that, Shut up. Is it? Shut up, Carlos. Shut Incredibles, up. Where, where he's like, you got me monologuing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel right now. There, that, uh... That joke always reminded me there was this um, game that I, a tabletop game that I played where there was a deck of cards that was, they were handed out and they had different like um, one time use abilities on them Mm. that you could just like draw a card, take the chance, see what you got. And the, the fun part was that the GM knew what was in the deck, but didn't know 
how it what was you shuffled. Would get. Yeah. yeah. And so one of the cards that a friend had was um what well, I can't what was the actual name of it? I don't know. Like like uh, let me let I'm sure you're wondering how you got here or like let me explain to you my nefarious plan and when you played it it allowed the player characters to take like two rounds of extra non-combat actions oh. while the GM had to monologue about like what evil plan their their super bad evil guy had. Love that. <laughs> Love that. All right. We're getting close to the end here. Sorry, I'm having a good time. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. I feel like I'm laughing enough for both of us, but I'm glad you're having a good time. Because I cracked myself up. Anyway, on February 26th, you cracking yourself up? Oh, shit. See, I'm not going to kick you out for that. <laughs> yeah, I've got uh, like 10 to catch up to to even be <laughs> at your level. So I think I'm fine. On February 26th, 2016, law enforcement shows up at Raphael's door. He's arrested. All of his documents are confiscated. The feds Duh. went through thousands of transactions and eventually come up with a figure of at least, at least 782,000 pounds of illegally caught fish over the last four years. Wild. But did his wife try to smuggle out gold bars in a diaper bag? No, absolutely <laughs> not. Goldfish, maybe. <laughs> Just a box of them. Uh, and the IRA... Ugh. And the IRS agent asked Noah, is that a lot of fish? And he was apparently told, if forests were your thing, this would be like burning down Vermont. Wow. <laughs> like fucking Noah. <laughs> so between all the documentation, those calculations, and the 15 fucking hours of recorded conversation with the Russians, Carlos was charged with conspiracy to commit offenses against the United States. False labeling and fish identification, falsifying federal records, bulk cash smuggling, and tax evasion. He pled guilty. I don't think he had a choice. During his sentencing on September 25th, 2017, he argued, you'll love this, uh, that even though what he did was wrong in the eyes of the law, he was really just trying to help the fishermen of New Bedford. Quote, I did it because I wanted to make sure my people kept getting a paycheck. Which we all know now that apparently that was a fucking problem. So, yeah. I mean, argue what you want, pal. <laughs> like, uh, and, and, and he argued that he should only get 24 months of community confinement because he was stupid with his crimes, not greedy. LOL. I wrote after that. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, uh, 13 of Raphael's fishing vessels were seized and he was sentenced to 46 months in prison. Wow. Uh, and she didn't really come up, but it's worth mentioning that Deborah Messier, uh, Carlos's bookkeeper, was also charged with submitting falsified records and conspiracy. But I believe that the charges were eventually dropped for her. The biggest issue with Carlos getting locked up was that he did employ like 300 people. And that meant that those 300 people were now without a job and didn't yeah. know if they you know, we're going to be able to work. New Bedford, the New Bedford economy was seriously affected uh, for a lack of a better word, power vacuum that was left when, when Raphael was arrested and sent yeah. to prison. His settlement forced him out of commercial fishing forever. 
and his boats and share catches were sold mostly to even larger operations but to some smaller independent jobs as well um and in 2020 Raphael's daughter was quoted as saying my family is happy to close this chapter in a manner that allows people to get back to work on the water i am hopeful that my parents will be able to enjoy a well-earned retirement spending time with their children and grandchildren Raphael was uh released from prison into quote community fine uh community confinement on april 30th 2020 uh he essentially was put under house arrest okay i was like what's community confined that also the other option is like going into a halfway house basically like you go into a home that is not your house but you are still under watchful eyes uh and that's that's what community confinement is essentially um oh i was like is it is it like you're under house arrest but you can't leave your neighborhood yeah i basically he was under house arrest yeah uh and from what i understand he now owns a country club and an apartment complex so now he's a landlord landlord. (laughs) fuck landlords remember that respect i had for you earlier and probably has like a giant golf course on his probably his country club that's just a waste of space and grass and water yeah so much water but at least you know at least california is still opening those surf lagoons (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> god damn it god morning. okay uh, <laughs> meanwhile allegedly the fishers of new bedford have been working to improve relations uh fish populations and the quotas to make a fish make fishing a more viable career for the future um though i couldn't find anything to determine if there were actually any adjustments like uh being able to get more quota for these people um but i do understand that apparently the noah and the edf are now saying well maybe we should have put in some safeguards and it's like you were out for the big guy this whole fucking time you piece of shit if you watch the rotten episode there's they go to iceland and they talk to icelandic fishermen who have had these these catch shares implemented on them and how badly it fucked up iceland's fishing like community it is a really shitty like it has helped the population vastly of fish but it fucks up life for the people who who make their living doing this uh i did read one new bedford article from july of last year 2022 in case you're listening to this in the future (laughs) and it claimed that a dutch billionaire family was now buying up most of new bedford's fishing vessels and paying its crew members quote what amounts to near slave wages wow so yay i'm glad things are going well makes me so upset yeah seize the means of production new bedford i love this story just like genuinely surprised at the amount of crime and fraud that takes place on commercial fishing worldwide yeah like i knew about the persistence of commercial whale hunting for example like and how it continues in japan and iceland and norway um i did find out that iceland announced just a year ago that it was going to stop its commercial whaling practices by next year um one article said that japan uh had been importing s importing icelandic whale meat but in 2018 basically said fuck the international whaling commission for banning whale hunting we're out and in july 2019 started whaling again i was like damn japan going back to the villain era (laughs) i mean Um, why not they're gonna join the club so everyone else is entering their villain era so Norway and Iceland are presently still members of the IWC, but hunt within their exclusive 
economic zones and still need to provide scientific data and information on their catches to the IWC. Japan's like, nah, now we're going to kill some fucking whales. Remember, save the whales, guys. And with that, remember to look uh, if you're if you're a fish eater, look into your local sustainable fish and seafood sources and keep an eye on the labels. The one thing I've picked up from all of this is that the shit that we get imported here has basically no regulation on it. These fishermen are talking about how stuff comes in from places all over the world where you'll they'll they'll catch something in Thailand. They'll freeze it. They send it to China to be processed where it's thawed, processed, frozen again, bunch of additives, like support your local fishermen if you live in an area that has such a thing. Yeah. They, the government assumed that people would be willing to pay a premium on good fish. That's not how capitalism works. No. We want the cheapest. <laughs> like, well, because we have, we have to buy the cheapest because we don't have a livable poor. wage. Yeah. yeah. But if you, if you can afford to swing, support, support local, support domestic. That's all I can say. Do your best, y'all. It's, it's tough out here. That's it. That's my story in my soapbox. <laughs> Save the whales. Buy local. Well, it's just like the the problem is that it's like you don't have people don't talk about it the way that they do about farms. Like I said, like when you hear about these these big companies buying out local mom and pop farms, you can say, well, fuck that. I'm going to go to the farmer's market to get my produce. Yeah, there's not like, someone no, at the farmer's market with like aquariums. Well, there are here. Not aquariums, but like you can get local f- seafood here because I live on the coast. Yeah. But like not everybody has that. And I don't think... I just, I'm just trying to shed a light here, guys. Just be better. Yeah. You <laughs> where might, you can. Where you can. You might be I able get to struggle. get, you might be able to get like locally caught like catfish around here. But if it came Fresh out water, of, yeah. came out of one of the lakes or something, forget about it. I wouldn't trust that shit. All our shits are, all our shits, <laughs> all our lakes are shit. All our shits are lake. Oh, well. <laughs> that too i would i would because if they're if i'm already eating fucking ground uh, bottom feeders with fucking flounder and shit like yeah the ocean isn't much better everybody's eating plastic out there that's true you could be you're eating your sashimi you know what that tuna ate fucking plastic enjoy your microplastics i mean (laughs) i'm already full of them there's no way i'm not (laughs) that i know it's like there's nothing we can do and i don't eat tuna i eat salmon well, they're also eating plastic. Sorry to tell you. <laughs> Are you making sure that it's sustainably sourced salmon? No. Yeah, because you don't give a fuck. Uh, because my options are very limited living in the middle of the U.S. as far as seafood goes. Uh, well, look, <laughs> we can't all be as lucky as you to live in a wonderful red state in the middle oh, of the yeah, country. Oh, yeah, it's great. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry about me, guys. We're doing just fine. But you can afford rent. Yeah. I can. So take what you can, bitch. Because (laughs) I'm in a state with like the cheapest rent of Mm -hmm. any state because no one fucking wants to live there. there. (laughs) Look, I'm I'm trying to start a commune. I know. Not that you'd want to move here, but. I would. I would. It's just the space and the money. We're talking about talking about buying a bunch of land and like building on it. Hell yeah. You just come out here, buy a trailer, (laughs) sit on our land. Why not? Why not make a little hobbit hole? Just hollow out a, a hill. Just live in there. Bilbo. Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> It'd have to be a pretty big hobbit hole for Elise. She's tall. She's, she's a tall lady. It'd be like Gandalf in there. I just want to sing Giant Woman. But 
I'm already worried about my Bilbo Baggins song getting us flagged. I don't think anything. I don't think we have enough people to yeah. worry about getting flagged. I think we could be on here like just playing like fucking Ariana Grande and we would be fine. All right. Let's wrap it up then. Unless you right. have something to comment about the fishing industry. No. Okay. I didn't think so. I was like, why does that sound so accusatory? <laughs> Damn. Uh, thanks for joining us today while we discussed the fish tale of Carlos Rafael, the Codfather. I love that. We hope that you'll reach out to us with your own experiences. <laughs> we want your stories, your yeah. questions, and your feedback. Send us an email at strangeunusualpodcast at gmail.com. If you're sending a listener story, we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so we can sort through those a little more easily. Please don't tell us about how capitalism got you down. We're already sad enough. I mean, <laughs> yes. But also, <laughs> if you would like to talk about communism, I'm here. Yeah. Hammer and sickle, baby. <laughs> I love... I can remember one of our early episodes where I was talking about Lenin, and somebody on Twitter was like, how dare you? Capitalism or communism ruined such and such. And I was like, okay. Because <laughs> capitalism is doing so much better. Yeah. Let's talk about the number of people who can't go to the doctor and die of, you know, absolutely curable shit. Yeah. Anyway, sorry about that. Didn't mean to bring us down. You can also find us on Instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast or on our personal accounts, Roy Rampage and Calamity Casey. You can find us on Twitter at underscore strange unusual at Calamity Casey and at Roy Rampage. We are on Facebook. Search for the Strange Unusual Podcast. Look for our cute little icon. And of course, Roya is streaming on Twitch pretty regularly now. What's that? Twitch.tv slash Roy Rampage. Yes. Um, if you would like, you can join us over on patreon.com slash strange unusual. Uh, we are doing the thing, man. We have a fun little discord. We, let me tell you guys, our patrons are amazing. The number of Ides of March memes that we got (laughs) really, really pleased me. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty good. Come join the community. It's a great time. We are, we are few, but we are mighty. (laughs) (laughs) we're doing watch parties every other week we are sort of sort of not doing a book club at all um <laughs> we're talking about what we're reading yes we talk about what we read um it's it's just a it's just a fun time and if you can't support us financially if you can't afford two dollars a month which i totally get because that's what half a dozen eggs you said last time oh at least you know if you could write uh, a nice review if you could give us some stars share us us. put them in our hand (laughs) share us with your your friends your enemies your local fishermen um we would love to have more people involved and uh and hanging out with us so thank you for that you said no reviews nope bitches (laughs) yeah fuck (laughs) y'all uh yeah okay bye Bye. (laughs)